We're in John chapter 5 this morning, and we're actually going to finish up the chapter. Uh, This has been really, to me, a very, very full chapter in in Jesus explaining and really defending who he is, explaining why it is that he healed on the Sabbath and why he had that right to do it. And he does so uh, in his discourse. He's really equating himself with God the Father because, in fact, he is equal to God the Father. And the conversation, and and the way that this is written out, the, the, the conversation, it makes me wonder whether Jesus... Who, who knows their thoughts of the people that he was speaking to. He, he knew their thoughts. And, and whether he was just reading their thoughts, that's another way of saying reading their minds, or they were actually responding and what they said was not recorded here in the scripture. Uh, he, it, it becomes a bit of a, a, not only is he defending himself, but he's really using his defense in, in such a way that, that indicts the Jews that he was speaking with, um, challenging them, and, but also in that challenge and also in that indictment, is, um, it really is an invitation. It's an invitation to take stock. It's an invitation to, to consider... Uh, your own ways. And I, I think even as, for, for us as Christians, it's an invitation. Uh, and, and, and I'll explain that as, as we, we go forth and, and look at this. I'm going to begin in verse 39. And Jesus says to them, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are the things which testify of me. I'm reading from the New King James this morning. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. And if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from another? And do not seek the honor that comes from only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we consider this passage not only as a challenge to the Jews who heard it first, but Lord, I'd ask that it would challenge us as well. And as we look at this, that we would examine our own hearts, that we would even ask you by your Spirit that you would search us and know our hearts, O oh God, try us and know our ways and see if there be any wicked uh, ways in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. 
We thank you for your word that cuts between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. So we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts this morning. We bless, ask that you would just bless the teaching of your word, that it would go forth and do that which you desire for it to do this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. If you're wondering, one is water, one is coffee. Both appear to be necessary, so it seems, anyway. Um, as I thought about this passage, and I don't title my messages normally, right? And so, but I, 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 I'm, I think about the themes, the themes of the passage. And, and, and so if I were going to title this, how's that? Um, I might have called it a misguided faith or a misguided religion. I didn't like those, though. And then I thought of this idea of becoming religious for all the wrong, all the wrong reasons. I didn't like that one either. And then as I thought about this, I thought about perhaps what Jesus was encountering here is men and women, but probably mainly men were listening originally in this conversation, that had established their lives in such a way that their lives had gone off course. Remember way back years ago in when I was in the in the military and I was I was at work and I was I was actually on break. You'd, we'd go in and talk to airplanes for a couple hours and then you'd sit down, you get to go in the break room and kind of unwind and kind of de-stress. And I, the the news was on and a guy named Jim Baker, you guys remember Jim Baker? The news had come out where he had been found guilty. And not only was he found guilty, but he was given 40 years for his crimes. Now, did he rip people off? I think he rip people off. Okay. Did he deserve to go to jail? Yeah, I think he did. I think his wife should have gone too. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But there wasn't much about Jim Baker that I liked. All right. But I'm... Somehow this, this news report kind of captivated me and caught my attention. You might disagree with me, and that's really, that's fine. I thought 40 years was excessive, incredibly excessive. Now, as you know, he got released much earlier than that. And I actually found myself actually feeling sorry for the guy. Remember, he had that meltdown in court and all that, and, and just... Uh, and I felt bad for him. And as I'm th- all these thoughts are running through my head um, while I'm watching this, and it just struck me, perhaps, don't know the answer to this, perhaps when he first started out, he started out with best intentions. He started out with a pure heart. Pure motives. And something went radically wrong in his life for him to have ended up 
being found guilty of all the charges he was found of. I think of that with, with other pastors, some that I even know that have fallen one way, shape, or form. And how they probably started out well. I know many people that are not pastors. because, Well, don't go there, Mike. But anyway, I know many people who aren't pastors who started out well in the faith. And somehow, in some fashion, they made the wrong decision, which put their life on a trajectory of which some of them don't even realize they're on the wrong path. Some of them realize they were on the wrong path, and yet they have spent their entire life trying to recover from that. And, and I understand that, and, and God bless them, and God give them grace and strength and hope to recover from those things. But the thing is, is it, it, as I thought about these Jews, and I actually kind of felt sorry for them, because look what Jesus says to them. See, this to me is a tragic failure. That, 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 that they, they had the truth of God in front of them. The Jews, particularly the rabbis, they studied more than anything else. They studied probably more than you and I. They knew the Old Testament scriptures probably better than you and I might ever know them. And, and to, to have this incredible revelation from God in front of you day in, day out, and to not be able to comprehend it. Although you think you, 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 think you can. I remember one time there was a guy, I don't know, I'm going to tell you this story. I shouldn't, but that's too late. And, and, and I, I, I went and visited a guy, and, and um, he was staying at the campground, and he had a friend coming from Las Vegas. They were both on staff at a church there. And so I went by to visit him, and his friend was there, and he's like, oh, he's an expert in the Old Testament. He's an expert. Ask him anything. Ask him anything. And I'm like, leave me alone. I don't want to ask him anything. You know, what are we doing here, right? So I thought, okay, you want to play? I'll play. So I said, okay, what was the name of Moses' second wife? He couldn't name her. It drove him crazy. And so I, let it, I just let it go for a while. Some of you may know the answer to that one. Her name is never mentioned in Scripture. But if, I thought, well, if you knew the Old Testament that bad or that well, and I can ask you any question, any question, and you're going to answer it, what does it profit a man or a woman to know the Scriptures so well and yet lose their own soul? See, I took what Jesus said, and I kind of spun it, all right? And I, and I have to think there was an incredible amount of pride going on, probably more so in from my friend that I went to visit, that, he, hey, I want you to show you my guy who knows everything about the Old Testament. Well, I asked him one question, and he couldn't answer it. We're not going to take a theological exam to get into heaven. Now, do I believe the Bible's important? Yes, I do. 
Do I think we should study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? Yes, I do. But look what Jesus says here. You've searched the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. It's recorded in the Mishnah, which the Mishnah is a group, a collection of Hebrew traditions, oral traditions, not written. Well, actually, they were eventually written down. But the, the oral traditions of the Hebrews was the interpretation of Torah, first five books of the Bible. And it was passed down from generation to generation. Eventually, it was written down. It actually wasn't written down until about the third century. And I realize that's 300 years after the time of Jesus. But these ideas were carried along from generation to generation. And one of the th things that was written in the, in the Torah, and I'll just kind of give you a quick paraphrase and keep moving on this, was that, that, that in studying the scriptures, you have eternal life. Is there a problem with that? I think there's a problem with that. Because when Jesus says, I, well, we'll look at it later in John. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except for by me, he was talking about his person. When I went away in the service, and I would get a letter from my wife. And I would read it, and I would read it, and I would read it, and I'd read it. I, I think I might even still have a few of them. I wasn't in love with the letter. I was in love with the author. And I read it a lot. Okay, <laughs> those letters helped. Man, they really did. But I wasn't in love with the letter. I couldn't wait to get home to the author of the letter. And, and yes, thy word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Yes, it is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important to understand what God has declared to us in his word. But the understanding of his word in itself does not save us. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. Searching the doing the religious thing. Doing the spiritual thing. I think spirituality is very important. I think spiritual disciplines are very important. I think practicing a spiritual life is very important. But I do know people who have a very spiritual life, but it's not connected with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who you worship matters. And that's, it's, it's, it's very important. And the scriptures are there to help us to get it right. 
But they had a relationship with the, with the Torah. They had a relationship with the Hebrew Scriptures, not the God of the Scriptures. I, I, I've told you this so many stories, I'm tired of hearing about it, but I'm going to tell it to you again just, just to kind of emphasize the point. It's like the young guy that I worked with who went away to Bible college, and he really, earned, he really got his money's worth. And he, he knew the ba Bible ba is seen backwards and forwards and even sideways. But there was no change of heart. Can I be real blunt? I won't be real blunt. Semi-blunt. He was the same jerk that came back from school that went away to school. There was no change of heart. There was no growth. There was really no less of him and more of Jesus in his life. And Jesus says, you search these scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And, and they are the ones that testify of me. This is that which I've given. He, he's talking about the Old Testament. You understand that, right? They are what testifies of me. And yet the tragedy, the tragedy. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can hang out in sister's coffee and quote scripture all you want in your conversations with folks. But is it transforming you? Is the relationship that you have with Christ transforming you? Now, I understand because I know it's, it's this way in my own life. It feels like three steps forward and two steps back a lot of times, does it not? Okay, I guess it's, well, it's some of us. How's that? Okay. It does. It, you know, it, it's like just when I think I'm getting somewhere in my walk with Jesus Christ, there I go and I start acting like me again. <laughs> or even worse, some of you. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, you know, it, and it, it's a constant struggle. At least I think it is. I think if we're truly paying attention to our own hearts, it is. That's why I'm becoming even more and more convinced to really know God, we really have to know ourselves. And, and to know ourselves, we really have to know God. It's this cyclical, weird, reciprocal type of relationship. As I get to understand myself more, I'm, I'm able to, through the enlightenment of God's Holy Spirit, to, oh, gee, what's really going on in my heart today? If I should just go back to bed and try it again tomorrow. I have days like that. Sometimes I feel like I have months like that. But anyway, they missed it. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Who cares if you always win at 
Bible trivia. Seriously. Is that going to add one more cubic to your stature? Now let, me, let me flip it again. Is it important to study God's word? Yes, I think it is. Okay, I haven't, cha- I haven't changed, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking when, when Jesus confronts in such a direct manner, we, we need to pay attention to it. Because he goes on to say, I've come in my Father's name. And you do not receive me. And another will come in his own name and you will receive him. In other words, they are open to deception. I, I, I could really camp out on verse 43 this morning. I'm not going to. I know it's going to maybe disappoint a few of you, but that's, I'm sorry. But anyway, they were open to deception. Because this is my opinion here. John, in this passage, does not say it. But I think I have loads of scripture to back up my opinion on this. I believe that the Holy Spirit was bearing witness to those Jews, the original audience, when Jesus was speaking to them. And it was an affront to their pride. Because, I, I mean, I'm putting myself in this. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I've been studying all my life the scriptures. I know them backwards, forwards, and sideways and everything else. And everybody is so impressed by my knowledge. And you're telling me that's not the way to eternal life? And I'm, I'm sensing it in the depths of my own soul that this man is telling me the truth? which means I have to reject everything I've spent my entire life doing? What an incredible affront to who they are as people. And when we encounter these types of things, we really find out how much pride is really nesting in our own hearts. Because what I just expressed to you was really all pride, wasn't it? And then he goes on. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? 44 is a slippery verse. It's a dangerous verse. Because I've met people who take this and they run to the extreme. I don't care about anybody else. You ever heard that? Of course you have. Have you thought it? Of course you haven't. Okay. Um, I don't care about anybody else. I just worry about what God thinks about me. Which usually is another form of spiritual pride, by the way. See, we never escape it, for goodness sake. You know, you know, it's like, I, and I, under, um, I am understanding more and more what Paul says in Romans 7, who, um, oh, wretched people that we are, who will deliver us from this body of death. They were seeking honor from one another. They wanted to win at Bible trivia. I know more verses than you. I've memorized more scripture than you. You know what I hate about Bible memory, memorization? 
I usually end up forgetting it later on. I don't know what it is, but it, the price you pay, I guess, when you get old. Um, but I have a hard time memorizing anyway, and I just let it come to me. Just keep reading it. I, I, I don't try to memorize anymore. It doesn't work for me. My, I guess my brain's not wired that way. I just keep reading and keep reading and keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I didn't know I knew that. But do you seek the honor that God desires to bestow upon you? Do you realize that God wants to honor you? I'm talking about in a very, how do I say this, humble way. But that God wants to honor you? I came that you have life and that more abundantly. Is that not being honored by God? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except for by me. Is that not being honored by God if we hear that and heed that? The expression of God's grace in our life is something that I think we often overlook. And I think because part of it, we, we, after a while, I think we just, expect, we just expect that God's going to be good to us. And then when we think he's not, boy, are we mad. I, I, and I, I remember a friend of mine so mad at God one day, and he's praying. He's, he's, he, and he's, he's almost yelling at God, right? And uh, I won't get into language he used and all that. But anyway, um, but he was praying from his heart. But he was also praying, and I think, he, and he told me about this later, it, it, that it was like his expectations were in such a construction. Follow me on this, okay? His expectations were in such, such a construction that he was really wanting to tell God what to do and he really didn't realize it. Have you ever told God what to do? Of course we have. And, and, but we dress it up really spiritually, don't we? Especially if we've been in the faith for a while. We really know how to dress it up really nice. And who are we deceiving? Ourselves. Because we sounded good to ourselves. Instead of letting the word of God that divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, do its work. Which is what? What am I describing here? What is the book of Hebrews, excuse me, describing here? It's describing the work of the Holy Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, right? The Bible is known as the sword of the Spirit. And what, what, what does the sword do? goes in and it does the surgery. It goes in and removes the things that need to be removed. And then, and then he goes on here and says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Now, he's already, it's already been a 
establish that these guys really don't want a whole lot to do with Jesus. And remember, they're mad at him. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath and they want to challenge that. Because he violated the law. Imagine that. He heals a man who has been lame for 38 years on the Sabbath and they're angry. You see, that's what religiosity, is that a real word? I don't know. But that's what religiosity does to us. It makes us hard and it makes us calloused. And, and, and when, when those boundaries are pushed up against or exceeded, then we become angry and we become bitter. And, 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 and we, we, in our anger, we, we lose our sense of awareness of what is really going on. You realize that? That's, how many times have, in my whole ministry have I heard, I've heard one way, shape, or form? That's not the way I heard it in my last church. Well, I can't really do a whole lot about that. I'm just teaching to you my, what I believe God is expressing. Take it or leave it, right? That's why I love to say your mileage may vary. Which makes other people mad, but anyway. It is what it is. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Why did he say that? It's believed, I believe, that with some exceptions, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, did he write the very end of Deuteronomy, which records his death? Probably not. Okay, but anyway. Um, and sometimes the Jews will refer to the first five books of, of the Bible, also known as Torah, which in the Hebrew means teaching. It doesn't mean law, by the way. It means teaching, which really should have shaped their idea of how they were to live in, in a much more grace-filled way, in a much less legalistic way. But I'm not going to go down that road this morning. But it's also known as the Law of Moses. So basically he's saying to them, there's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Those scriptures that you think you are going to find eternal life in, they themselves will accuse you. Talk about the blind leading the blind here. Talk about a, a, a spiritual blindness where you read it, you comprehend it, so to speak, but you do never apply it, never apply it spiritually. It never penetrates their hearts. Again, they know the scriptures backwards, forwards, and even sideways, but it stays in their head. And it's never allowed to trickle down into their heart. So they never consider that which, and I've already referred to it once this morning, but again, what David wrote, Psalm 139, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my ways. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Well, does God already know his heart? Yes. Then why did he pray that? Because he needed to know his own heart. And the thing about reading the scripture, which, which I absolutely do not like, 
at times. Got your opinion. Got your attention. Okay. Is it becomes this incredible spotlight into my own heart. Usually illuminating my deficiencies. And that's just really a joyous occasion, isn't it? So I can feel guilty. Sometimes I do. And I can get mad. And sometimes I do. Or I can hope that I forget it and it just goes away. You ever try to sweep the Bible under the rug? You ever try to speak the voice of the Holy Spirit? Sweep the voice of the Holy Spirit under the rug and pretend like I didn't really hear it that way. So I can ignore it. Or I can recognize and remember and remember the graciousness of who God is. Because if I, lead, if I read this through just a, a, a full legalistic, black and white, right or wrong, you got to do it this way, no, you can't do it that way. If I read it through that lens, all it does is just make me either angry, depressed, or it exacerbates me and I just want to give up. Rather than thinking I have eternal life because I've read all this stuff. But I remember the grace of God. And I read this within the context of the grace of God. Now, what have I been telling you about, about all of this in John that we've studied thus far? It's all read through the context of the first chapter. Right? And normally, what verse do I go to? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, which is a claim of the deity of Jesus. When we understand in verse 14, it says the Word, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. I have to remember John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When I read verses like what we just looked at here in John 5. Why? What does that speak to me anyway? Because John 1.14, the word became flesh, is speaking of a highly relational context. Where God, who is pure, holy, righteous, and just... comes and lives with each one of us in spite of our problems, 
in spite of our inconsistencies, in spite of our dysfunction, in spite of feeling like we are on the spiritual high peak one moment and down in the depths of the darkness of valleys the next. And he comes and he lives with you and he comes and he lives with me and he dwells with us. He tabernacles with us in the midst of humanity's mess and inconsistencies. For if you believed Moses, Jesus said, you would believe me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Remember what I talked about a little bit? I'm almost done. I've got a ton of stuff here that I'm not even going to unpack this morning. Because I don't feel like we need to. Remember what I said just a little while ago about, I believe when Jesus was talking to those guys that the Holy Spirit was whispering into their hearts and speaking to them and bearing witness to them that what Jesus was saying was actually the way, the truth, and the life. You want eternal life? Great. So do I. We get it from Jesus. You want eternal life? Yes, so do I. Do we deserve it? No. Does it matter? No. Because of what Jesus did. Because of what we celebrated just a while ago when we took communion. As often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. The penalty for our sin until he comes. But it's in hearing that little still small voice. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. Genesis 49, the scepter would not depart from Judah. Numbers, um, I think it's 23. The prophecy of Balaam, the star that rises, and the scepter uh, that will be ruling. The scepter is, a, is, is an emblem, a, a picture of the, the kingliness of the Messiah. Because one of these days, whether we are going to be alive when it happens or not, he will return. He will rule and reign. He will establish his kingdom fully and completely. And we will experience that which God intended for us to experience in the time when he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Which I hope somebody videotaped that for us. Did, what, what did they talk about? Could you imagine walking with God in his presence in the cool of the day? There's nothing better than the cool of the day, isn't it? Especially after you worked all day when it's hot. You get this, don't you? Yeah. But what is that? 
relationship. That we, we, we like to say fellowship because it doesn't sound quite so touchy-feely, right? It means the same thing. All right, but I want to say relationship because I, I, I want you to get this in your heart, guys. Because intellect here will not cut it. As much as we wish to God it would. But if you do not believe the writings of Moses, why would you, how will you believe my words? You see, the two of them go together. And if we are really understanding what Jesus is saying here, who's, who was the voice behind the words of Moses? All scripture is God-breathed, right? So the words of Moses were, in fact, his words. But again, it's about that relationship. I can allow the word of God to challenge me. I can allow the word of God to shed light upon me. I can feel, I can feel incredibly remorseful But in that remorse, do I run to the grace of God or not? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Boy, that's a verse I'm going to be thinking about all week. We beheld his glory. Lord, let me see your glory. What happened? I can go on for another 30 minutes because my mind has flashed to Moses on Mount Sinai experiencing the glory of God, so I better shut up before I keep going. But we beheld his glory because he dared to come in the flesh to deal with our nonsense, our insecurities, our inconsistencies are dysfunction because God so loved the word the world that he gave his only begotten son amen